0: A few years ago, probably about 10 years ago, I had the privilege of serving uh, for a small season in the Philippines. The Philippines are made up of 7,600 islands, and I was uh, working with a group, with a pastor network on the island of Davo. Now, Davo is predominantly Muslim. It's uh, the most unreached, one of the most unreached portion of the Philippines, And I remember during the conference we were teaching, this lady came up and she began to speak to me in Spanish. And I thought, well, that's unusual here in the Philippines for somebody to be speaking Spanish. But my host informed me, no, we've we've got several languages and several cultures because the Philippines have had several different people that have uh, had influenced in this area of the world. In fact... Philippines had many nations rule over them. It wasn't really until after World War II that a strong independence was gained. And during that time, missionaries began to flood into the Philippines. There was one couple. They went to a remote island where the gospel had never been proclaimed. And they shared the gospel with this group of people. And they said, we believe. And they started coming to church. They established a church on this island of unreached people and they praised God for that. And this family labored there for 20 years. It came time for them to leave, and a new missionary couple was arriving. And he, the the chief of that tribe came in and said, hey, we've been given to Jesus for a long time. And we've determined that we have paid Jesus back for what he's done for us. Now, that should cause you to go, That doesn't sound right. Sounds like there is a problem that this people had with understanding that, hey, we paid Jesus back for the sacrifice he made for us. They said, we're not going to come to church anymore. So this missionary, he said, they may have heard the good news of Jesus, but there's something missing. They're missing some of the foundational truths and realities about who God is and why we need a Savior. So this missionary named Trevor McAllen took this people group back to Genesis. And he started in Genesis chapter 1, and he began to show them through God's Word why we needed a Savior. Why the Savior had to come. Why the Savior had to die. So church, today we're starting a new series. And we're starting a series that will cover the first 11 chapters of Genesis. And we do so for a very specific reason. We just finished a series on discipleship. That this is Jesus' strategy for reaching the world is for uh, his people to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. That's his plan. But as we do so... We need to teach disciples in truth and life. And it's important that we make sure that they have a firm foundation to build upon. So we're calling this series Foundations because we've got to make sure that we have a firm foundation upon which to understand the reality of who Jesus Christ is, what God is doing, why the world is the way that the world is. All of that begins to make sense as we go through the first 11 chapters of Genesis. Now, we're going to go through this a little bit differently than we typically do. Typically, we work our way through a book and we go rather slowly. Here, we're going to cover chapters, sometimes even two chapters of these first 11 chapters, because we want to see the major themes of what God is saying here. You see, when you understand the first 11 chapters of Genesis, you begin to understand where does worth come from? Where does your worth come from? Where does my worth come from? Where's our value come from? Why is human life to be valued? Why is gender important? How do we love and care for the needy? Why are human rights to be valued? How do we understand justice in light of a holy yet righteous God? Why does our world have disease? and famine, and natural disaster. Why do these things exist? Why do uh, people go to the nations and declare uh, the gospel all over the world? Why do these things happen? To understand it, we have to go back to Genesis. That's our foundation for understanding all these truths. So today, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 1. I'm not going to read every verse in that chapter, but we're going to read portions of it, so you can follow along. If you would please stand for the reading of God's Word. If you have your Bible, turn with me, Genesis chapter 1. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Hear the Word of our Lord. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Verse 6. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let the expanse separate water from waters. Verse 9. And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place, and let the dry ground appear. And it was so. Verse 14. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from night, and let them be signs and seasons and days and years. Verse 20. And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. Verse 24. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. Verse 26. And God said, Let us Make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Verse 31 And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. This is the word of God for the people of God. And all God's people said, praise be to God. You may be seated. God, your word says, that the grass withers and the flowers fade, but your word, your word, Lord, stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Lord, we acknowledge that unless you speak, nothing of true significance will be spoken here today. So speak, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. I'll tell you, as we go through Genesis chapter one, there's gonna be some areas where we could go further and we could dive in more that we won't. And there's going to be some areas where um, we look as Christians and we say, as Christians, as Bible-believing, and and this is what we believe at IEC, we believe the Word of God is the inspired, authoritative, inerrant Word of God. God has chosen to speak to, to us as humans, and this is the number one way He's chosen to speak to us. So we want to hear from God. But we also recognize that there's areas where God has spoken And Bible-believing Christians can have some variance. And there's a couple things within chapter 1 that we'll see that on. I'll point those out to you, hopefully in a gracious, understanding way. But know this, as Christians, there are things that we must, that we have to stand firm on. The reality of what what God's Word is, that it's His authoritative Word. The reality of who Christ is, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. These these things are things that are near and dear to our faith that cannot be removed, that Scripture is clear on. And we talk about creation. The key here, it says in verse 1, in the beginning, God. There's a beginning There was a time when things started, and in the beginning, God was there. God has always existed. Before everything you see around you, there was God. And it says, God created. God's the one who created things. And how did he create it? Well, as I read those verses, hopefully you heard it over and over again. And God said, and God said, God spoke and it was created. All God had to do was speak, and what he spoke happened. He is God, he's over all things, he is mighty, he is powerful, and at the sound of his voice, all creation moves, all creation obeys. So God speaks, and the world is created. Now, the word here, it says, in the beginning, God. That word is Elohim. That is the word that means strong one, mighty one. That God is all-powerful. He's over all things. All you had to do is speak, and it happened. Next week in chapter 2, we'll see another name for God, Yahweh. That God is the covenant-keeping God. He, he loves us. He draws near to us. He's close to us. But here we see God creating Now, the focus of chapter 1 is God. He's the focus. He's mentioned 32 times. Don't think you and I are the focus of chapter 1. It's God. In fact, God is the focus of Scripture. You want to understand who you are? You start to understand God. The more we understand God, the more we understand ourselves and the, the reality of who we are and who God has made us to be. So God is mentioned over and over and over again, but here it says He created. God created. We get the six days of creation, the order that God didn't create with chaos. He created with order. He had a, a, a way of creating. Now when we talk about God creating. I want to acknowledge there's a few different views that I think Christians can hold. And Christians do hold, and within this room there are a few different views that we hold. I want to, I'm to briefly go over these. I'm not gonna explain them well enough. I leave it to you. If this is something you want to study more, I would encourage you to. It's important to know what we believe on these, but it's also vital as Christians that we know the things that we divide over and the things that we stay unified over, even when we may have a different viewpoint on this. Here's the key to chapter 1, God created. Any other view is biblically unfaithful. God created. He's the one who did it. He don't did anything else and you're out of step with God's word. You're out of step with reality. Now I'm gonna put some views up here on the screen and I'm gonna briefly walk through them. We have what we call an old earth understanding of creation. This is a view that the earth is millions maybe, maybe billions of years old, however old people think it may be. And people seeking to be biblically faithful, there's what we call the gap theory. This is the view that between verse 1 and 2, there was a period of time. It doesn't tell us how long, but there's just a period of time, and that's when the earth aged. There's also a view called the revelatory day theory. This is a view that people hold that Moses woke up one day and God said, Here's what I did I created light. The next day Moses got up and God said, well, hey, I created, um, I created water above and water below. And he woke up each day and this is how God revealed it to him. There's another theory called the ph- phenomenal language, that this language is, is poetic. I believe it's literal. I believe it's literally what God wanted us to hear. There's what we call the day-age theory, which says that each of the days was a long period of time. So these are all different views that, that you'll see Christians holding. There's also the literal six-day view, which would say our earth is much younger than millions and billions of years. Earth is not that old. Um, when you look at the Hebrew, the word for day is used, yom, in this chapter. Anytime you see yom used in the Bible, it's always been used for a 24-hour period. That's how it's always been used. Also, one of the big things is Death does not occur until Genesis chapter 3. There is no death till Genesis 3. So this view seems consistent with that. Also, when you envision Adam and Eve. How do you envision God creating Adam and Eve? Do you envision them as babies wallowing around in the dust? I don't think that's any of our images. We all believe that God created Adam with age. He was created as a man, not as a baby, not as a boy, as a man. You see, our sovereign God, if he wants to create this earth with age, he can do so, because all God has to do is speak, and it happens. Now, within this room, I know there's some varying viewpoints, and some of you may hold rather tightly or strongly to your viewpoint. You may have good reasons. You may have researched this far more than I have. I've researched it before, but I want us to hear a quote from a scholar named Wayne Grudem that I think summarizes as Christians how our heart attitude toward this. Listen to this quote. It should be on the screen as I read it. However, it should be said at this point that with the information we now have, it is not at all easy to decide this question with certainty. The possibility must be left open that God has chosen not to give us enough information to come to a clear decision on the question. And the real test of faithfulness to him may be de- the degree to which we can act charitably toward those who in good conscience and full belief in God's word have a different position on this matter. Both views are possible, but neither one seems to me now to be certain. Given the situation, it would seem best, one, to admit that God may not allow us to find the clear solution to the question before Christ returns, and two, to encourage evangelical scientists and theologians who fall into both young earth and old earth camps to begin to work together with much less arrogance and much more humility and a much greater sense of cooperation in the larger common purpose. Now, that's a long quote, But hopefully you hear the the heart of it. That have a view, the view God created. He did it as Genesis 1 said. How we people work out some of the details, we can be gracious in some of those things. Here's the reality of creation. No matter what a person believes about creation, it always requires faith. Even atheistic scientists, they require a huge leap of faith because everyone goes, how did matter come to be? But we know God spoke. He's always been. He speaks and it happens. But no matter what a person believes, they're going to require a step of faith. And church, our faith is in God Almighty. That's where we take our step of faith and we say, God created. We want to understand how this world was intended to be. We go to God. He's the one who explains it. He's the one who shows us. In verse 3, it says, And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. Again, but God speaks and it happens. Day one, he speaks and I'll show you on this screen. Day one, God speaks and light appears. All he had to do was speak and it happened. On day two, God said, let there be an expanse, waters to separate water from water. And we see that God made the waters in the sky on day two. On day three, God made dry ground. Now, you can see our God is a God of order. He's not a God of chaos. The enemy is the one who brings chaos. Even as we worship God, we worship in and through the spirit, but we worship with order because God is glorious and he's good. And here, each of these days, God creates. He cr- creates a container that he's going to fill. So day one, what's he create? Light. What's going to take the fullness of that light? The sun, the stars, The moon will reflect it. So on day four, he creates the sun, the moon, stars to take the light. On day two, he created water and sky. What's he going to fill the sky with? Birds of the air. What's he going to fill the water with? Fish of the sea. So we see day five, he fills what he created on day two. And on day six... He created the land on day three. On day six, what's he going to put on? He's going to put animals and he's going to put humanity, male and female. He's going to put man there on day six. We see that our God, this glorious, good, gracious God, he creates all that we see with order. Now in verse 26, this is the sixth day. God has created the animals and he says it's good and then in verse 26 he says then God said let us I love that there is a plurality right there God the Trinity Father, Son and Holy Spirit all present at creation the word used for God in chapter one Elohim has a plurality in it God is there And he says, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Realize this there is nothing in all of creation made in the image of God outside of you and I. We're the only thing made in God's image. Animals, plants, this earth, none of it is made in the image of God. It's only humans. We are made in the image of God. And what does that mean? In regards to morality, in regards to intelligence, in regards to personality, we are a reflection. We are made in the image of God. Our personalities, our morality, our intelligence are all reflection of who God is. And God made us. God created things and God created out of nothing. Ex nihilo, he creates Latin word for nothing. He needs nothing to create. But he sets us up to have dominion over this world. We are under God. God allows us to be creative. But nothing humans create is out of nothing. Anything that a human has ever created is created out of something that God had already made by speaking it into existence. God speaks and it happens. He said he made us in in his likeness to rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. We're created to have dominion, to subdue the earth. That's one reason we value animals. It's one reason we value creation. Because God has called us to take care of it. We know one day this broken world, Jesus is going to return and he's going to restore this broken, fallen earth. And we wait for the day that he does that. But until he does, we want to be found faithful, stewarding the world that he's given us. God's purpose, he says here, he creates us to have dominion, to be fruitful and multiply, to subdue. Notice this, God gives man work to do realize this work is a god honoring thing god has created us to do work now it's hard because of the fall a lot of things i'm talking about today are in the they're in the garden we get two chapters in the bible where everything's the way it's supposed to be after that all the way to the last cha- two chapters Everything is chaos. Everything fills the implications of the fall that we're going to see in two weeks in Genesis chapter 3. We get two chapters where it's the way it's supposed to be. So today, when we talk, I'm talking about this is how God intended things to be. But because we live on this side of the fall, things are not the way that God intended them to be. In verse 27, it says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. This is called the imago Dei. We are made in the image of God, and that's where our worth and our value comes from. Why do we love other humans and treat them with dignity and respect? They're made in the image of God. As Christians why do we say there is no ethnic, there is no racial, there is no tribal supremacy? Because we are all made in the image of God and we all trace right back to Adam and Eve. It's glorious, it's good. And whenever people start thinking hierarchy, that one people group, one nation, One tribe, whatever it may be, is superior to any other group. They have fallen out of line with how God created things. No, because of the Imago Dei, because we're made in God's image, we have worth and value, and we're to treat people that way. When we see those who are poor and destitute, why do we take time? Why do we ask God, how can I help? Why as a church do we say, how can we get involved? Because they are made in the image of God, and that is good, and that is glorious. So often we, in our world, want to size people up based on their views on political things or their views on different issues, and God says, no, everybody has worth and value because they are made in my image. Why do we see The brokenness and perversion of sex. Why do we see pornography as a rampant plague upon our societies? It's because people do not have a proper view of the image of God. When you realize that God has made all people in his image, then you're going to see people having value and worth, and you'll treat them with dignity and respect, and you won't look at them as an object for your own pleasure, as an object to make your life happier and easier and better. No, you're going to treat people with dignity. In honor, the Imago Day. So many of our problems in our world come down to the fact that we don't properly understand that God has made us in His image. That's why we care for the poor. That's why we care for the needy. And it says that God has made them male and female. This is good. This is glorious. Male and female, made in the image of God. Both male and female, both made in the image of God. Male and female, made equal. There's equality between men and women, okay? In worth and in value, there's equality. God made it that way. Yet don't miss this, there is uniqueness. I have four sons. I didn't carry any of them or give birth to any of them. That doesn't surprise anybody here, I don't think. You would expect that. My wife did that. She's a woman, and it's glorious, and it's beautiful. And God made her body where she can carry a baby and give birth to a baby. God has made us equal yet unique. He didn't make us the same. And that's a beautiful, glorious thing. So often, our world thinks we know better than God. Remember one time I was putting together a marble maze for my boys. It was this huge thing that I built for Christmas. I started on it at ten thirty at night, I didn't finish till three in the morning. And I had to follow the instructions exactly. Have you ever tried to put something together without the instructions? Some of you do that all the time. You'll just look and go, I can figure it out. And you put it together and you look and you go, well, these pieces, I don't know where they were supposed to go or what was supposed to happen. I tell you, God is the one who created you. You can't do better than God's instructions for how we're to live. You can't do better than God's instructions for who we're to be. And God made us male and female. And tragically, the culture where I come from there's a great attack on the very first thing God made in his glorious image, male and female, in his image. It's glorious. And when that attack happens, that attack is at the foundation of God's word and who God has created us to be and who we are. You see, people think I'm free. I can live however I want to be. I can do whatever I want to do. Your freedom is not in doing whatever you want to do. Your freedom is living how God has created you to live. If I take a fish out of water and I say, fish, you're free to live however you want to live, and I throw them to the shore. That's not how God created him to live. God created him to live in water. God created us male and female. And we embrace that as a body of Christ. We embrace that as a church. It is glorious and good. Yet God has made us unique. We see in Scripture that God is called husbands to kindly, gently, graciously lead in the home. This is a God-ordered thing. This has nothing to do with skill or ability or knowledge. It has to do with that's how God set it up. My wife, if she ever has a difficult time following any lead that I have, the problem's with me. It's not with her. I'm the lead in such a way that I care and love and provide. Here at IEC, we, have, we, we seek to be faithful to Scripture as a church. We see in First Timothy that Paul said that the elders were to be men, not because they're smarter, not because they're more gifted. That's just how God ordered it. It doesn't mean men and women aren't equal. It just means that God has set it up this way. And when we start kicking against God's word and how he's ordered things is when things go crazy. Now, some of you I know today struggle with some of the things I just said. Some of you have been hurt by men who, in the name of God's word, have treated women poorly. I think that's an abomination. Men are to treat women with dignity and great respect and great care and compassion because we're both equally made in God's image. No, we don't throw out God's word because we've seen somebody abuse God's word. We hold to God's word because it's what God has said. He's the one who said it. I don't get to look and go, I know better. I'll build the puzzle myself. No, God's the one who did it. I'm going to hold to his truth, his word. He made us male and female. That is good and glorious and we can stand on that. Fame and glory would spread throughout this earth. That was his original plan. Yet we're going to see that that plan gets messed up in Genesis chapter 3. Now God's going to restore that. God's purpose will still be accomplished. This whole earth will be filled with image bearers who worship the living God. And one day, every tribe, tongue, and nation is going to stand before God and worship him. That's where we're headed, church. But we come back here to the beginning, and we see that God put us in the garden to live in relationship with him. That's what he intended, that we live in connection and communion and relationship with him. And at the end of day six, once he created male and female, once he created mankind, he says, it is very good. The only very good we see in creation is man and woman. Very good. God created them, and it's glorious, and it's beautiful. See, we're all threes. It's made in God's image. And we are to turn this world into worshipers of God. That's what we go to do. In Genesis chapter 2, I'm not going to go here, but beginning of chapter 2, we see the seventh day where God rested. He didn't need rest, He created you and I to work, but we need rest. God made us dependent, God needs nothing. God is totally self sustaining. He doesn't need food. He doesn't need rest. You and I, we need sleep. We need food. Why do we thank God when we eat a meal? It's not because we hope He'll turn a meal that's unhealthy into a healthy meal. That's unrealistic. We look and we say, God, thank you. Thank you. You've provided again. I need food to live. And yet again, you've been faithful to provide that which I need to sustain and to be alive. But as we eat, it's a reminder. I can't live this life by myself. Separate me from food, separate me from water, separate me from sleep, and I won't make it very long. I'm dependent upon a good and gracious creator. God has made it where we, all of our lives, declares that we are needy. We are in need of a good and gracious God. Well, Genesis chapter 1. Next week, we'll get into chapter 2. And in Genesis chapter 2, some of you may have heard that there's a second creation story. Genesis 2 retells the creation story. It's not a second story. Same story, told twice, different perspective. Genesis chapter 2 uses the word Yahweh, the covenant, personal God, because he's personal. So same story told twice, Genesis 1, Genesis 2. It would be like if we saw a car accident, and you said, what happened? And I said, well, this person was going fast, and they slammed on their brakes. The car behind them rammed them. And then you ask somebody else what happened, and they said, well, a kid ran out in the street, and this car slammed on its brakes to save the kid. And another car slammed into him. And then everybody started cheering and going crazy because the kid wasn't hurt. Exact same story. Different details. Different perspective. That's how Genesis 1 and 2 work. Let me show you um, uh, the pyramid. You can pull that one up. Um, What Genesis 1 is like. God is building up. Genesis 1. First day creates light. Next day, water, sky. Next day, land, moon. Sun, moon, stars birds, fish, finally animals, and at the pinnacle, the very top of God's creation, above all else, to be over everything else that God has created. And we're going to get details of how God created man that we didn't get in chapter one. So these two chapters, they go hand in hand, allowing us to see how God has made all things. Well, we get two chapters in the beginning of our Bible. Only two, where things are the way they're supposed to be. When you walk out of here, this world is not the way God intended it to be. It's broken, it's fallen, but make no mistake about it. We are headed to a day when God will restore this broken, fallen world. God is going to take this world back to the way it was supposed to be, the way he intended it to be. Listen to Revelation. This is Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven, from God, prepared, prepared, as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell in them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying. Nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Beginning in the Bible, we get man and woman in a garden with God. At the end of the book, we get all the creation, all of humanity with God in a garden, a new heaven and a new earth, and He wipes away every tear. All the pain, all the suffering, All the difficulty of this life will be wiped away when Jesus Christ returns. We live for that day, church. That's the day we live for. But until that day comes, may we be found faithful to invest in the only things that God has given us which are eternal. There's only two things I know of that are going to last forever. Everything else be burned up and renewed. This book, God's Word. This is how God has chosen in his goodness and grace to speak to us. It's through his Word. It's going to stand forever. And the people sitting next to you, the souls of humanity will last forever. So what are the things that as we spend our time here on this earth, what are the things that we should invest in? I argue that we invest in eternal things. God's word and humans, the souls of people. Taking God's word and declaring it to people. Telling them God loves them. He made you. You have worth. You have value. And he loves you so much that when you messed everything up and everything was ruin and destruction, he sent his son bring you back to the Father. That's good and glorious news. Church, may we live for those things until the day that Jesus Christ returns or calls us home. Let's pray. God, I do thank you for your word. It's true not because I say it's true. It's true because you spoke it. It's true because you're the one who gave it to us. God, you you can speak in a number of ways. But the number one, the most clear way you have chosen to speak to us is through your good, perfect, and holy word. Lord, forgive us for how often we think we know better than you. Forgive us for how often we we go our own way and live by our own wisdom. Forgive us for how we often value the opinions of other people more than we value the word of God. Lord, there's times that we will quake in fear at somebody having an opinion. Or we have an opinion, they think it's, they don't like it. We'll be fearful, Lord. Let us not be fearful when we stand on your truth. Let us stand on it with great grace and humility, with great kindness and love. Not because we're so smart or we figured anything out, but we know the one who has. Lord, I pray as a church we would taste the great joy in investing in that which is eternal. Your word and people. And Lord, until you return, may we be faithful to bring in the harvest, to see those who don't know you one, to see those who, who trust in you grow in maturity to the point that they can help others grow in maturity. Lord, you've called us to be fruitful and multiply. That not only applies physically, that applies spiritually so may we do so. Lord, if there's anything I've said here that in any way is dishonoring of your word, not true of your word, spoken out of fear or spoken out of misunderstanding, may that fall on deaf ears. But the truth of your word, may it do its work. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.